0: Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. I don't mean to turn this into the Hunger Games, but there's only one Bible left. So if I tell you to raise—the millennials are with me. Uh, I'm just saying there's only one Bible. So when I tell you to raise a hand if you need a Bible, as I would like to— I just emailed myself to order some more, so I apologize that I allowed us. No? No takers this week. Glenn, you're off the hook. You're going to use it. Great. Bravo. So all of you then have a copy of God's Word. That's wonderful. Um, If you happen to have taken... See, I saved my page with the notes, and then I pulled the notes out, which totally defeats the purpose. Um, If you're in that hardback by any chance, we're going to be page 980... So work your way to Ephesians 5. Um, Let me talk about giving real quick while you guys are turning. I neglected to mention it last week. Um, I try to, and I've failed many times, but I try to be really specific in stories that I share related to the giving time because I want the foundation family, I want to continually be building trust between uh, the average saint who is um, in faith Giving, because you look in scripture and it goes, man, I ought to give, and elders and staff that oftentimes are the ones practically putting a budget together and practically managing those funds, right? Um, even in a church of our size, we're not ginormous, and yet most of us are just not aware of the day-to-day operation. So allow me to, to share yet another story, just something that matters to me. I know it means a lot to Sherry. Um, how many of you guys know food costs have gone through the roof as of late? Yeah, not fun. And there are a bunch of reasons, but in the end, when you're doing life, when you're doing ministry, it is what it is, right? There's no point in complaining. It just is what it is. You roll with it, right? Um, one of the hallmarks of our vacation Bible school, the last couple of years at least, I don't remember how many years back, Ms. Sherry, we've been making sure to include a lunch, each day. Uh, If you're new to the church, we do a a, a kid's camp in the summer for five days, and we teach kids the Bible, some of whom have not gotten to be exposed to church before, not gotten to hear the gospel. And um, Ms. Sherry uh, put in there, hey, let's serve them lunch so that when we hand them back to their parents around 12 or 1230, we're not handing them hungry kids. And the parents said, amen. So I think that's a great part of that model of ministry. I'm I'm very supportive, but costs went through the roof recently and we had a little bit of a a financial crisis if you looked at just the numbers and the yikes. So I'm telling you that to say, um, not only do your elders and staff love Vacation Bible School, believe in Vacation Bible School, they didn't have a huge crisis. We were not sweating when we worked the numbers this way and that to make sure that we're okay going forward. And the reason we were okay, able to make decisions this way and that is because you're faithful and consistent giving. So thank you. You've already made VBS a success. The main reason it's a success is because of your heart. You love children and you want them to hear the gospel, perhaps for the first time. Uh, a secondary reason the VBS is already a success is some of you have already decided, maybe a long time ago, that you're going to sign up when the time comes and you're gonna serve. And a third reason it's a success is because of your faithful giving. Make sense? So there are some online ways to give. Um, There is a silver bucket at the back. Thank you. Um, All right, let's do some Bible teaching. Uh, A few weeks ago, we started Lent and the encouragement, and I put these three words down beneath the title of the series, for me because I am a dog chasing my tail and I forget everything. So this is my encouragement to this family during Lent, uh, to choose something from which to fast because fasting reminds us that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that departs from the mouth of God. How desperately do you need to believe that? I need to believe that in in a big way. I've been following Jesus for over 30 years and I still struggle to believe that. Um, I want to encourage you, as always, to keep reading through the Gospel of Matthew together uh, during this time, uh, trying to set the bar really low. As I said uh, in our Lent service, it's only 28 chapters and we've got 40 days, so we're going to do uh, just fine. And, uh, and then prayer. Uh, I want to keep putting before you the, the prayer that is very beautiful and practical during the Lenten season, to try to say this. Every time you think of it, I'm trying to do it in the morning when I wake up. Jesus, I am so sorry for how much my sin cost you. Thank you for saving me. The weight of the cross should lead to gratitude, right? And if our gratitude is small, maybe our view of the cross is small, right? So this phrase, Christ in you, is stolen from a larger phrase out of Paul's words, Christ in you, the hope of glory, We can complain about darkness in the culture, we can complain about darkness in our circumstances at work, we can say, this is going poorly, this is going poorly, and yet scripture gently but firmly pushes it back onto the church and says, hey, the hope of glory is Christ in you, so what are you doing to be that city on a hill? You with me so far? I just moved from Paul over to Jesus, but the idea is the same. If it's dark, what are you gonna do about it? Because the light and love of God is communicated through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ came and died to save sinners like you and me. That is the light and love of God communicated through the church to the world. So if it's dark, what are you gonna do about it? And then during Lent, the way we're unpacking the series is to take a look each week at a different sphere of influence, a different area of your life or potential area of your life to go, when Jesus steps into that to be light and love, what might it look like or what should it look like according to scriptural commands? So we are doing Christ Jesus in our marriage is the topic today. And I want to say the same thing that I've said twice before when we've done marriage series. Sometimes preachers don't tell you a week in advance what they're preaching on because they don't want low attendance. Right? Um, I used to, when I was a youth pastor, I used to tell them on purpose, yes, we're talking about sex next week because I wanted high attendance. It was awesome. It worked every time. Um, We are blessed to be a genuinely multi-generational church. We have some age gaps in our demographics, but in general, we have four generations in our church for which I'm very grateful, maybe five uh, if you're being technical about it, and Uh, If if we're anything like the United States broad demographics, we might not be, about half of adults are currently married in the United States. Of the half that are not, maybe it's never been married, maybe I was married and I lost my spouse to death, I I was married but ended in divorce, something happened, okay? Um, There is a temptation, the brain is always looking for information that is relevant to me. We're all tuned in to the same radio station, WIFM, what's in it for me? And so when I say, hey, we're, we're teaching about marriage, if you're in a spot, and only you know this, you loved the same man for 45 years and he has gone to be with Jesus and you're just not on your radar to get married again, right? Or for whatever reason, or if you're young and you're going, man, I can not I don't even know if I'm, that could be years away. I want to submit to you, and it's kind of this first point, but it's, uh, I want to be more explicit. Because Scripture tells us that marriage is an image of Christ's love for the church, every Christian needs to care deeply about the state of marriage, whether you're married right now or not. Because it's a picture of Jesus. It's one of the ways God shows his love to the world. Right? So if in all of Sacramento, if there was one billboard that was owned by Jesus Christ... And you happen to be blind, but you're a blind Christian. Do you still deeply care about the state of that billboard? Yeah, because you're a Christian and you want the city to know Jesus. All right? That was a weird analogy, but it's the best I can do. So I'm asking you to care deeply. Whether or not you see marriage being on the horizon in your life, whether it is something you are doing now, uh, this is a beautiful clearly biblical way that jesus shines in us and through us and so i want to ask you to pay close attention to paul and later to the um, mother of king lemuel when we go to uh, proverbs 31 later on so discussion question sorry introverts go ahead and turn around introduce yourself to your friend nearby we're going to do a discussion question say hi tell him your name And with your new friend, go ahead and go around the proverbial circle and share. What do you believe is the biggest struggle in marriage? What do you believe is the biggest struggle in marriage? I'll give you 90 seconds. Single people, grab a married person fast. (laughs) This row right here. Turn around and ask them. I see the young singles have solved all the problems of the world, there's nothing more to discuss. Choose the loudest person in your group to share some of the answers that you guys came up with. Communication. Communication. That's a great one. What else might be the biggest struggle in marriage? I don't want to grow up. Oh, I'm a Toys R Us kid. There are a million toys at Toys R Us that I can play with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Ooh. Right, the desire for easiness. This would be easier if you just thought like me, or yeah. How about as you grow, people change, and they have trouble staying well because some of them have to grow the other. Right? Could I go a layer beneath that? Yeah. The assumption that my spouse will never change. Yeah, young ones, you should be taking notes. Yeah, I, I listened to a pastor a few years ago. He's only in his mid-40s, but he says I've been married to five different women. Because there was Lauren that I met when we were 18 and there was Lauren when she was 23 and there was Lauren when she was 29 because we change, God's changing us, amen? What else? What what might be the biggest struggle in marriage? Not being attentive to your spouse's needs? Yeah. Yeah, being a lousy listener would be a huge struggle. (laughs) Respect, love. Honoring Honoring. Yeah, not honoring your spouse, that's gonna be a big one. How many Disney songs are you guys going to bait me into? (laughs) Can't hold it back anymore. Let it go. Let it go. What? Complacency. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. We're okay now, so let's just coast. Everything will be fine, right? Humility. Humility. Oh, my goodness. Patience. Patience unforgiveness, and you drop the bomb from the second floor. Right? How many of you guys testify that when we play this game of, oh, they hurt me, but I'm going to overlook it, and it's, it's just a little bit too big to overlook, it still hurts, and you're going to not deal with it, 20 years later, it has not magically solved itself. Right? It could fester for 30, it could fester, and just keep going. Anything else before we move on? See, I think we should do the discussion question and then I build out the sermon series based on you guys' answers. This is good. This is real good. I know, what's wrong with me? I agree with you guys' answers. Note takers, let's go fast and furious. Oh, does Ephesians 5 address some of this? When Jesus steps into our marriage, this happens, by the way, when he saves you, he steps into everything, whether you like it or not. But he steps into your marriage, he makes it about him. Because he's not a religious guru, he's God. If he were Tony Robbins, he would not make claims over your sexuality, your gender identity, the ways that he says a man and a woman in covenant marriage together more fully glorify him than the way that the genders do on their own. He's making God-sized claims. He makes it about him. Ephesians 5, let's look just at verses 21 and uh, then about down at the bottom at 32 real quick. Verse 21 is a topic sentence that Paul unpacks. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is specifically talking about marriage. And he says, submit to one another because it'll go well for you? no. Submit to one another because uh, the culture expects you to? Definitely not. Submit to one another whatever why we could put in there. That's not what was there, was it? Because you both revere the risen Christ, submit to one another. So guys, let's do the dangerous work, the hard hard work that we don't want to do. Let's flip that verse on its head. I do not submit to my spouse because I have a lack of reverence of Christ. I I don't submit to that. I'm demanding my own way. I'm domineering. I want it my way. Out of a lack of reverence for Christ. Because Christ designed not only my spouse and me, he God, the eternal God, created this institution of marriage. He has the rights to say what it ought to look like. Look down at verse 32. This, talking about the two becoming one, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. We'll read the middle verses in just a second. But he's reiterating, just so we don't think it was a one-off. All of marriage. So the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection and they're trying to trap Jesus into something. And so they say this really dumb theoretical story. Hey, a man marries a woman, but he dies before having children. So the other brother marries her, but he dies before having children. And this continues on until seven brothers had all married the same one. It's ludicrous upon ludicrous. And that's kind of the point. And they say, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And Jesus, because he knows how to win friends and influence people, says to the Sadducees, the religious elite that runs seminaries, he says to them, your problem is that you don't know God and you don't know his word. Other than that, he had lots of friends on Instagram. Like, right? Walk into the seminary and you don't know God himself and you don't know the Bible. That's actually your problem. He says in that regard you'll be like the angels of heaven. What? Guys, marriage is a temporary and beautiful image. It's not as temporary as the state of California would like it to be where you fill out some forms. It's supposed to be a lifetime if we're able to make it work, God willing. But man, is it temporary in light of eternity. Let me tell you news that if you take it as bad news, you don't understand all of what it is. When you get to heaven, you're not gonna have your relationship with your spouse downgraded. This is what I was afraid of even before I knew Emily. When I was a teenager and somebody showed me, hey, Greg, Christ is is, uh, showing his love for the church through marriage. You're not gonna be married in heaven the way that we view marriage now, I was immediately bummed out because I like the idea of ever-increasing intimacy until I think it was Francis Chan said to me about 10 years ago, hey, no, 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 Greg, your intimacy with Emily isn't going to be dragged down a few notches. You're not gonna sin against each other. Your intimacy with the entire church is coming up. However much you love your spouse or your closest friends, imagine all of the intimacy being dialed to 11 because we don't sin against each other anymore. And everything is known and everybody is fully known, just like the first two chapters in the garden. Don't worry about your spouse being downgraded. That's not the point of the new heaven and the new earth. The whole point is that intimacy is upgraded and the ultimate intimacy is we, the bride, being married to the bridegroom, Jesus. A God and his people united perfectly. That's the point marriage is about him. So I want you to go into the very, very theoretical world of a man trying to make his way down the road and his wife is sitting shotgun. Are they in the same car? I just told you. Can Can a car go more than one direction? Can the car be at the risk of oversimplification on the road or off of the road? Those are the two options, right? Let me ask a really practical question. You get into a fight and it's a pretty good one. Is it safer to pull off to the side of the road to have your discussion if it's really heated? because what is the driver supposed to be doing in theory right if 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 you're going you know if you're 50 miles an hour your reality is hundreds of feet in front of you that's more real than an animal that's 2 feet from your car but you're whizzing past it that, that that's more real because this is where you're going right god says about marriage i want a husband and wife to be looking at me this is where you're going Jesus is that bright light on the horizon. This is where you guys are going. If you're looking at each other in conflict, you might need to pull off the side of the road and take a little, there might not be a whole lot of progress in the moment, but even our conflicts need to be submitted to Christ, amen? We do forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation the way that Jesus would tell us so we can get back on the road. So we're following Jesus. It is so easy to have an adversarial relationship during conflict where we're facing each other, fighting each other. And Jesus says, hey, in a bigger sense, you guys are gonna find intimacy in your trajectory when you choose one end destination together. You're going to heaven. That's what you're doing. You're pursuing God's glory with your marriage. That's what you're doing. Who here, this is everybody who's been married, Forget it, I won't ask you to raise your hand. You've seen in what I'm gonna call a moderate fight, not a really big one, but a moderate fight, that in the end, it was just based on communication because as you talked it through, you realized your core values were the same. There was just a misunderstanding. And as soon as you realized, no, our core values are aligned on this, all of the, the attention dissipates. Oh baby, I misunderstood you, I'm so sorry. The big fights are when the core values aren't aligned. That's the ones that that really make you sweat, that really take time. Probably a good Christian therapist sometimes. Our core values aren't aligned, yikes. But if they are, we often find ourselves, oh, this was a communication thing. Or maybe some selfishness reared its ugly head and I was self-centered in the way I approached that or in the way I said it. So my encouragement uh, to you Foundation, one of our core values is to tell people about Jesus and Jesus said that we proclaim him through sacrificial mutual submission. So tell people about Jesus through your marriage. Brothers and sisters who hope to be married one day, plan on getting married, not because you desire marriage. Plan on getting married to illustrate Christ's love for the church. Plan on it. Because if you think it's about your happiness, well, be married for a couple of months and you'll see how long that lasts. Things happen when you realize, wait, somebody took two sinners and tied them together. Who thought of this? This is crazy. (laughs) Tell people about Jesus through your marriage. Second, when Jesus steps into our marriage, he fights the curse of Genesis 3.16. Did you know this? Christmas, we sing, Far as, far as the curse is found. What kind of a theological jerk takes Genesis 3 and shoves it into my Christmas song? I was trying to feel happy. The theological jerk says, Oh, no, no, Christmas is him rolling back a curse. This is the best news ever. Okay? Who here wants to testify? that the curse of Genesis 3 is not fully rolled back. We're still living with it. Okay. 316. Let me read it to you in case you're new to church or you forgot. Humanity just decided they were smarter than God. and They said they're gonna do it on their own. And God's telling Satan and the woman and the man that there are horrible, devastating consequences to what they've just done Verse 15, I'm going to add 15 in it. And I will add hostility between you and the woman, meaning the serpent, the serpent and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, aka demons, the uh, angels that have rebelled against God and humanity will be constantly in conflict. And as our brother C.S. Lewis pointed out, if you don't think there's a conflict, that means you're losing. Okay. He will strike your head again, first person, I'm sorry, second person, singular, masculine, he, all of a sudden, this is why theologians say this is the proto-Euengelion, the very first gospel. He will strike your head, Satan. All you'll be able to do is strike his heel. So God, right in his first breath, says, This curse isn't going to last long. I'm going to send Jesus. And with that victory in mind, the next thing he says to the woman, verse 16: I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. That's not fun. You will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Does that sound fun? Two things there. That that was not one thing. That was two. You are going to desire to dominate, and he will. Let me unpack this further. His physical strength being greater than yours wasn't a factor until now. Because you guys were selfless and sinless you had nothing to worry about either of you and you guys are now going to have a virtually impossible time of lovingly submitting to the needs of the other this is going to be really really hard now because your unity had to do with you guys honoring me and being focused on me and you threw me out so this is going to be hard now, you're going to try to dominate each other instead of submit. So, and here, here's why I said when Jesus steps into your marriage, what Paul is saying to us in Ephesians 5 is, I may not be able to totally roll back the curse now because this is something happening throughout the church age where Jesus is giving us the answers of what does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? In this case, even in marriage, here's how to do it now. Here's to find a greater joy now. Here's how to honor God now. It's not gonna be perfect, but it's coming. There will be a day where you don't sin against one another. In the meantime, Paul says to us, husbands and wives submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So sometimes our doctor says, hey, you need a supplement because you don't have enough of X, Y, Z. And if you had enough of X, Y, Z, you'd be feeling better. Uh, my doctor told me, Greg, you're low on iron, so I started taking iron supplements every other day, Okay. Does a supplement solve your problem immediately? Right? And no one even claims that. The doctor did not say, here, take this one pill, and all of a sudden your iron levels will be up to where they need to be. She said, keep taking them, kind of indefinitely, <laughs> and maybe in a number of months or even years we'll, we'll see where you're at. Uh, that is a little bit of what it's like to joyfully obey the commands of God Knowing that there's not a full healing coming till the, till the end, right? We do not magically have a perfect marriage because we work hard at mutual submission. It doesn't work that way with, with any part of following Christ. Uh, but the curse doesn't just magically go away, the curse is still there. And so here's what it means while Christian wives and husbands are trying to practice mutual submission, during that, The background noise is a curse that says that's going to be really, really hard. It's still hard even if we have the commands of God. Make sense? It's not going to be easy. Just like, I don't know, love your neighbor as yourself is not easy. It's clear, but it's not easy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's clear, but it's not easy because I'm still a sinner. So those of you who love Jesus and are married or those of you who love Jesus and plan to be married. Ephesians 5 is something that has to be practiced every single day. You don't get to lovingly serve your wife on something that's important to her once on a Tuesday and weeks or months or years later like, well, you remember that one time where I deferred to you? (laughs) See, I'm a great husband. (laughs) Any more than you can't take an iron supplement once and then walk away. Deference has to be a practice. Everywhere. Jesus said, man, here on earth, you guys, the way you guys do leadership, you lord it over one another. But amongst you, it'll be different. You want to be great in my kingdom? Learn to be the servant of all. That's how you're going to be great. And so marriage is this paradox that should look weird to the world. Of a man and a wife trying to outserve one another. That sounds a lot like the church family as well, doesn't it? Or our elders. Outserve one another. Outdo one another in honor. The world won't know what to do with it. To that point, here's my encouragement to you. Submit to your spouse to shock the world around you. Instead of fighting for your own way. And by the way, I'm not talking about submitting to your spouse in rejection of Christ. When your spouse is trying to do something sinful, you submit to Christ first, amen? Amen. Sometimes your spouse is wrong because they're a sinner. You don't submit to that. Honey, I'm gonna do it your way even though it's wrong because it's easier on me and I'm avoiding conflict. Honey, I'm gonna do it your way even though it's morally wrong because I kinda like that idea anyway. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Both the man and the woman are submitting to Jesus first. Elsewhere in scripture, it's like, it is, is, it is the man the head of the wife in marriage? Yes, he's spiritually responsible for the spiritual temperature of this home. Does that mean he's in charge of everything? No, the text says, his head is Christ. Christ has a head too, the Father. God the Father is the only entity described in the Bible anywhere that does not have a head. Even Jesus has a head. The Father is the only one who does not. Everybody else, who here, you've ever been raising kids and they say something along the lines of, man, I can't wait till I'm grown up when I can do what I want. And you just kind of chuckled. A grown man submits to his wife in certain ways to serve her, submits to the elders of the church and their spiritual leadership of him, submits to a boss to keep his job, submits to police officers because they're in charge of the streets, submits to senators that he may or may not have voted for, submits to a president he may or may not have voted for, submits to the courts. A a grown adult is in submission to lots and lots of authorities. And the idea that I'm my own man and I'm gonna do what I want, that's a myth. It's a myth, and in fact, when we flail around and say we're not gonna submit to anything or anyone, we're a very dangerous person. We become very, very dangerous. So you wanna shock the world? Don't fight for your own way and look for opportunities in the middle of that conflict. Like, hey, can I just take one for the team and love and serve my spouse? Could I just? Again, one pastor I listen to when he talks about mutual submission, He says, I try to lose every single fight on purpose, hundreds and hundreds of times. Because every great once in a while, there might be something really big where I need her to trust me. And so he rattled off all these things. I didn't choose where we live. I didn't choose how we decorate the house. I don't choose what school the kids go to. I don't choose what car we drive. I don't choose any. Someday there's gonna be something big with very real spiritual implications. And I'm gonna have to say, sweetie, this is big. And so the way that he serves his wife, is just like all the small things I'm gonna lose on purpose. And by the way, we're not talking about one of the spouses being turned into a doormat, okay? When you lose your voice, you're a doormat, not a spouse. Right? And we are constantly, we are in a culture that is very tempted for the man to dominate and the woman becomes a doormat or the woman fights back for her rights and she dominates and he becomes a doormat. Neither should dominate, neither should doormat. Right? Why? Because you guys are supposed to be friends. We have to fight for friendship. And if the friendship is thriving, no one's gonna get stomped on because we're friends. And I'm trying to outserve you. I'm trying to, especially the husband, and especially on spiritual matters, I'm trying to lay down my life for her. If I'm laying down my life for my wife and doing it well and doing it consistently, how would she ever be a voiceless doormat? That can't happen. Because I'm sacrificing myself for her blessing and benefit to help her see Jesus, help her love Jesus, model Jesus to the kids. No dominance, no doormats. Turn it into a bumper sticker. Third, when Jesus steps into our marriage, he shapes our character to make us trustworthy and praiseworthy. How many of you guys know when Jesus steps in, he changes you whether you like it or not? If you're investigating faith, this is important. Do not think you can become a Christian and stay the same. That's not how it works. I'm gonna flip over briefly. Proverbs 31. As I pointed out a year and a half ago, but I don't expect you guys to memorize my sermons, this text has been used brutally, not even necessarily by preachers, although maybe preachers have screwed this up. Uh, How many of you guys know when you read the Bible, Satan loves to whisper in your ear what it means? No, just me? Okay, Uh, a Christian woman reading this text is going to have Satan whispering in her ear immediately, you have to do everything. You don't really love God unless you do everything. You sleep, you're so weak. What do you need sleep for? Right? Satan would love to make it all about you. He's fine with our narcissism, even if it's our I'm the martyr narcissism he's fine with it because as long as your eyes are off Jesus he's fine it's not what the text says the text says chapter 31 verse 1 that everything that's coming in the rest of this chapter is from an older godly woman telling her son who is single hey this is the kind of wife you should look for this is not a guy's locker room conversation about what the perfect woman might look like or be like this is a godly woman saying, son, this is what my heart yearns for you to find in a godly wife. Isn't God good? He protected us from the stupidity of male thinking by making sure that a woman told us this is what a godly wife looks like. To me, this text just gets more precious. Verse 10. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. So did you see the word trust? When she goes in a second to go consider real estate and purchase it without texting him, because her phone was, was uh, the battery was low, right? 3,000 years ago, she didn't have the ability to text. When she goes and spends what for us would be hundreds of thousands of dollars and has her workers, because she has staff, whoa, she's manager of a business, a home business, has them plant a vineyard and operate a vineyard and he finds out about it at the end of the day. Does that speak of trust? We should all aspire to this. Can my spouse make huge financial decisions and let me know after? I just did that uh, the other week, and it was bad. Why? Because I didn't behave in a trustworthy way. Look at what we're to aspire to. We're to aspire to building so much trust in the relationship that we can step out, and when communication's not possible for whatever reason, it's gonna be okay. He trusts her. This woman's not a doormat. She laughs with no fear for the future. Her husband and her children rise and call her blessed, She controls millions of dollars of assets in the running of their home. She has incredible voice. Not autonomy. The husband and wife are not autonomous from each other. But they have their own agency. They have their own thoughts, their own convictions, their own skills, their own spiritual gifts. And look down at verse, skip down with me to verse 28. Her children stand and bless her. So clearly her children were not 13, 4, and two. But anyway, uh, her children stand... Too too soon? Maybe later. You parents of 20-somethings, do they come around? I don't know. Um, They stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. And then here's a quote from the husband. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Husbands, do you believe your wife is the best? And do you tell her? I am so lucky to be married to you. I am honored to be married to you. I am respected because I'm married to you. I didn't do that much, but you're awesome. See, that's the thing about being in covenant relationship with God. He works on our character and he changes us. Implicit in this text is that the man also conducts himself in a way where he is trustworthy You don't see any disjoint or distrust in this relationship. They trust each other. The text says that he sits at the city gates. This is weird for us because this isn't how our culture works, but he is able to shepherd, that's what the elders did in their culture. There'd be 10 or 12 of the oldest men, respected godly men, that they were the city council They were the mayor, they were the police. And so he is able to enter into the public sphere and try to be a blessing in that sphere. Why? Because his wife is wise and strong and courageous and fears the Lord. And she's using her gifts and she's managing stuff well. He trusts her, she trusts him. And they're able to go do different things and do really well at it. When you're in relationship with God, he's working on your character and he's making you praiseworthy. He's making you trustworthy. I won't ask for raised hands, but how many can think back a few years and go, man, I, if it weren't for Jesus, I wouldn't be doing much that was very praiseworthy. I can remember ways in which I was not trustworthy. And yet God's design for marriage is he wants to build both of these things Fellas, read the Bible until you're the husband your wife dreams of. Do it. See how I just pressed in on the fellas? I gotta be a jerk like that. Relationship with Christ starts, hopefully daily, with listening to the voice of your father through the scriptures. He's telling us what to do. He's telling us who he intends for us to become. And so many things, if you guys listen to your answers during discussion time, so many of the problems in marriage as we perceive it could be solved if especially the dude, but if both of these partners could get their eyes on Jesus listening intently to his commands. Would that create more humility or less? Right? We keep reading this book where Jesus is the point. I, I better become more humble. Where I'm reading it wrong, brothers and sisters. My encouragement to you is to keep reading this book. You do not do it for spiritual brownie points so God loves you more. You do it for transformation. I mean, that's why I do it. I am not satisfied with the Greg Kaiser of today. Every two year period, I can look back two years and go, that Greg was an idiot. And the scary part is you know the people around you already knew. (laughs) I just couldn't see it. I had to look in scripture and go, ah, I need to change. So I'm going to pray for us. God, we uh, declare out loud to ourselves what you already know. There are blessings in Ephesians 5 and Proverbs 31 that we really, really need. I want to pray specifically, Lord, for those who are not married right now, but maybe Uh, desire to be married in the future, you've got plans for them to glorify you through that. Um, I I, I just, I know how much of this text today, these texts, I just did not grasp when I was single and I have, I wish so desperately I would have grasped it and so I ask for a blessing for them. God, for my brothers and sisters who are in the room who used to be married and and, uh, they're not anymore, I ask that this family would love them really, really well and serve them really, really well. Um, God, although this is an image of uh, your love for the church, we all know from other places in scripture that singleness is a gift that can be manifest in very specific ways uh, to glorify you. And so I ask for blessing for single brothers and sisters in their journey of how to make a big deal of Jesus in their life stage God, make us a people who are so humble and so submissive that we're always loving and serving you, loving and serving our spouse. God, for those of us who are parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, as we shape the next generation, would we please help us to model submissiveness so that these kids would grow up with a really healthy view of marriage. Do this for the glory of your name. Do it for our joy. Do it for our city who really needs to see you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. God's people said. Amen. Amen. Some quick announcements. Sorry, went long. Um, some of you have noticed the bins for food donations. That's a, a ministry that's being run by the homeschool co-op that meets here on property. Next Sunday is the last Sunday to donate if you're dropping off uh, canned goods. Next, we are doing baptisms and child dedication on Palm Sunday. That's April 2. So uh, I already told you guys back in January, if you're interested in being baptized, come talk to me. But if you happen to not be here back then, uh, come and talk to me. Um, And so if you'd like, if you have... a, a Uh, had a baby, adopted a a child, and you'd like to dedicate, really, your parenting to the Lord, if you'd like to do that on Palm Sunday, come talk to me. We're going to do that. Uh, It's going to be a really good time. Um, And then the week after, we're going to celebrate Easter together by having breakfast at 8 before the service, and uh, the service at 9 celebrating the resurrection, the most beautiful and powerful event in world history. And then we're going to uh, have fun. The kiddos get to run around and open eggs and have a great time making some Easter memories after the service. Uh, Last thing, if you love Jesus Christ and consider Foundation Your Church home, we've been doing some voting this week through email on the online budget. If you did not vote through email and you would like to, uh, there are going to be paper instructions at the back where you get to sign and do all that jazz. Uh, The requirements are that you are at least 16 years of age More importantly, that you love Jesus Christ and you've called this your family for at least six months. Those are the requirements. It also helps if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. Um, So that part wasn't in the bylaws, but I just thought I'd throw it in there. All right? I love you guys. Have a great week.